1: This week on Truth and Justice, we're continuing our jump back into Season 5 with an interview that I recorded with Jason Baldwin in Austin, Texas in 2018. Today's episode will be the first half of that interview. and then next week, you'll hear the second half. And once again, if you're new to the show and you just popped in to hear this interview with Jason Baldwin, I would highly recommend scrolling back through our episodes to Season 5, where we produced over 60 episodes on the West Memphis 3 case. This would be a great time for anyone to catch up on Season 5 before a TV series on the Oxygen Network airs, which should be happening soon. But whether you've listened to all of Season 5 or not, what you're about to hear now is a really interesting, never-before-heard interview between myself and Jason Baldwin. Jason and I were chatting as we turn on the mics, so you're going to join in on the conversation as we're chatting about tattoos. You are up at four, baking pastries at five, and open at six. 100th cappuccino by eight, 200th customer by nine, and there's still 12 hours to go.
0: That's why you need a business broadband that works as hard as you do. Introducing Sky
1: Business. With 4G internet backup and our stay-connected guarantee, that's better business. To find out more, visit skybusiness.com. Sky Fiber only, 30-second 4G activation or one-off credit. New customers, Pro Plus packs only, T's and C's apply. Is that, is the one in your hand? Yeah, that's my one and only. Is that, um, is that a prison tat or is that a? No.
2: Um, well, in a way, it is a prison tat. Um, I was grounded for two weeks for not running away with Damien when him and uh, <laughs> Deanna ran away. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, tell that story. <laughs> yes. Um, oh man. You got grounded for not running away. I got grounded for not running away, for being the good guy. Uh, imagine that. Um, always. So, um, Damien fell in love with this girl, Deanna, in uh-huh. high school. And um, high school romance, you know, full of passion. You know, they hold hands and class and in between class carry each other. Well, Damien carried her books. This is before he quit school. Uh-huh. Well, before he was forced out of school. And she lived, Damien and I, we lived in Lakeshore Trailer Park. She lived in Marion Doll Houses, right? And this is kind of the rich side of the neighborhood rich side of town and mm-hmm. stuff and everything. They're well-to-do and stuff. And Lakeshore suffers a prejudice. Like when I was 11, everybody in Lakeshore got arrested for playing hide-and-go-seek. Signs uh-huh. Damien. Damien didn't live there. Right. So even though he didn't live there and suffer this conviction, he still would suffer the prejudice from it later on from Deanna's father. was okay. like, he's like, no, you're not dating anybody from well, Lakeshore. One of those Lakeshore kids. They're, they've all got a record. They mm-hmm. all have probation officers. You're not doing that, Mm -hmm. right? And so he's like, he can't come over here. I'm not taking you over there. Uh It's over with. And so they would still see each other at school. Well, when he got word that they were still seeing each other at school, he put pressure on the principal and on the teachers to do everything in their power to keep them from seeing one another. And so, like anything you put that much energy into, there's going to be an opposite effect to it. And so, by him putting that much energy into keeping them apart, it made them want to be together that much more, Mm -hmm. right? And so, instead of it being, their togetherness being supervised and around parents and at the parents' home, now they have to come up with something extreme to see one another. And the only thing they could come up with was to run away to California Uh and start a new life in sunny California together, away from the oppression, right? Yeah, they what, they had 16 years old or so? Exactly, Uh you know, kids. And we were in the ninth grade. Uh And so course the option to run away uh, was on the table for me as well you know of course being damien's friend i tried to talk him into not running away with deanna i'm like dude this is not good you know surely y'all can like work it out things will get better you know y'all be able to do whatever and stuff but it just wasn't happening you know and so i gave him like two bucks that was my contribution contribution to the free damien and deanna fund right (laughs) And,
1: um, you were their Johnny Depp back
2: then. Yeah, I was their Johnny Depp. And, um, <laughs> so, you know, he, he got arrested and, and that's how he got a probation officer, uh, cherry mm-hmm. Driver and everything. And so when he got arrested, I got grounded. <laughs> My mom heard that Damien ran away with his girlfriend. Uh, uh-huh. and I knew, of course, Damien's mom knew too. Uh-huh. You know, and, But anyway, I tried to talk him out of it. I could have went. I didn't go. But I ended up getting grounded, which two weeks grounding was way better than him going to training school and mental health facilities and things. Because not only when they arrested him, you know, it it broke his heart Uh because he's madly in love with this girl. They're being pulled apart. And then they turned her against him, Mm -hmm. you know, and he ended up. Getting in trouble with the law where she didn't, and right. things like that. So it broke his heart and everything. And he went through all that mental anguish of suffering that. And so that is really the catalyst of all this. That breaking of him right there, that heartbreak mm-hmm. is what got him in the mental health and in the mental health institutions and all that stuff that Jerry Driver hates him for. Right. You know, well, so. it seemed to me when
1: I've actually studied a lot of those documents that a lot of that Jerry Driver manufactured, you know, it, it was a, a lot of, a lot of what I do is to, you know, sort through the fact and fiction, right. To, in what's, you know, so you will, you know, in Damien's you know, mental health reports, it says, for example, that he and Domini had plans to sacrifice their firstborn child. Which is not true. Right. Yeah. Not true is putting it mildly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, but it says that in his file, and then people say, "Well, it's in his his record." But then when you read the record, it says, "You know, in the hospital he was in, that Jerry Driver called the hospital and told them that
2: exactly." And
1: Damien denied it, and then they talked to Domini, and Domini's statement is, "Apparently, I found out Damien had a plan to sacrifice our child." Well, who did she hear that from? Jerry Driver. Jerry Driver.
2: And 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 I know Dominique. I, well, I haven't talked to her since we got arrested, which I should. I'd like to see how she's doing. But she was probably like, not that she believed Damien had the plan. Yeah. It's that, that these people are proffering this. Yeah. You know. And you can read the sarcasm in the note. Yeah. It says apparently. Apparently, yeah. The sarcasm, yeah.
1: Yeah. That, that, that's what we find out. But there's so there's tons of stuff
2: through mm-hmm. there.
1: So so let's talk about let's start there as we we'll try to walk well, through. This. So
2: what's it like to have? Everybody in America doesn't have their life dictated by people who do not have their best interest at heart, right? Right. So that's what you have in Marion right there. You have a person who has a control over a person's life, but they don't have that person's life. They don't have them at, at their best interest. They don't have... Like, Jerry Driver did not have Damien's best interest at heart, even though he had complete and utter control over Damien's life. Mm -hmm. And he put fiction, fiction designed to destroy Damien and his life in his file. And now, for everyone that can go and open up his file and look at all this mad fiction and take it as fact and attribute it to Damien and and use that as, as... an excuse to find him guilty of a crime he did not commit, to say, you know what, you deserve to be found guilty for something you didn't do because of the way you acted before, when all those actions were created by someone who wanted to see Damien's life ruined. Did you know Jerry Driver very well? I've never talked to him. I've never met him. My probation officer was Steve Jones, Uh and Steve Jones treated me with respect. And I treated him with respect, and we treated one another with respect. But Damien didn't have that same relationship with Jerry Driver. mm mm-hmm. you know, Do you have any idea, or has
1: Damien ever told you why he thinks? I've never been able to understand why did Jerry Driver have it out for him so bad. Because it's obvious that he did. by the Just the paperwork dictates that.
2: Right. I would just say it was a personal disliking of everything that was Damien. Mm-hmm. You know, um, one thing Damien uh, practiced or or looked into different religions. At one time, he looked into uh, being a Catholic. At one time, he was looking into Wicca. And so, in the South, at this time, anybody that looks at any other religion, even if you're looking at it, like, uh, educationally and scholastically, is a no-no. It's like, Mm -hmm. you could be burned at the stake for it. Right. How long were, were you and Damien friends? I first met uh, Damien and I was in seventh grade study hall. Okay. And I think it was, he was in eighth grade at that time. Mm-hmm. So I was arrested on my last day of school for the 10th grade. So that was be, about three years. Yeah. So you guys
1: were, did you guys spend a lot of
2: time together in those three years? When he lived in Lakeshore Trailer Park before him and Deanna ran away, mm-hmm. pretty much all the time because he lived in the next street over. Mm-hmm. Like I lived on. Westlake Drive South. He lived on Southwest Lake Drive. These streets are harder to name or remember because yeah. it's like the opposite of one another. And it's hard now names.
1: the streets are all the same place, but they all change names. So I had a hard time finding where
2: you lived when I was Oh, really? There. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, sorry about that. <laughs> but uh, so we spent a lot of time together when he lived on the street over. But after he ran away and he was arrested and he went to training school and everything, His mom and sister and everybody moved to Portland. And then when he got out, he went to Portland, too. Mm -hmm. So I didn't see him again. And then the summer, that he ran away during the ninth grade when I was in the ninth grade. And then the summer in between the ninth and tenth grade, he got out and came back briefly. Mm -hmm. Well, no, it wasn't even summer. Uh, Tenth grade had actually started because he tried to enroll in school. And since it was the same school Deanna was going to, Jerry Driver made a fit about it and said that there was a um they couldn't be around one another. huh. And got Damien locked back up for trying to enroll back in the school. Oh wow. Yeah. So that's why when I got to tenth grade and then when Damien got back out, he was like, I'm not trying to go back to school, I'm gonna just gonna go get my G D Okay. Right. And so he went and got his G D and I stayed in school. So that's why on May the fifth, when I got out of school, he wasn't in school. He was on um, sitting in my yard on the Yugo, him and Dominique. Waiting for you to get home. Waiting school. on me to get home. Yeah.
1: Well so how much time was there prior to the murders of Stevie, Chris and Michael? How much time going back from there did you were you able to spend with Damien once he was he was back and he was you know, available for you to hang out with and be friends with again after being out of the hospital.
2: You know, he, um, he hadn't been back in town but a few months. It wasn't long. Okay. And it wasn't the same as before when he lived just down the street. Cause when uh, he just lived down the street, I could just tell my mom I'm going down the street to Damien's. Okay. But when he moved to Broadway, I had to tell my mom I'm going to Damien's. But she has to take me there or I have to call over there and he has to get his mom to come get me and right. take me there. So it's a big, Production, right, right. So now parents have to be involved. Parents have to take you to and fro because that's, that's quite like a that. distance
1: from the Broadway Trailer Park to Lakeshore. Oh yeah. Did did you guys ever? Did he ever? You know, ever walk from there to your
2: house? Or everybody's... not? Not that I know of.
1: Because I've never looked at it. But it's got to be several miles. I've
2: never, I've never walked it.
1: Okay. Uh, do you know if he ever walked it? Not, not that I know of. Okay.
2: I can't remember a single time where he just, where I can remember. He was at my house, and he was like, dude, that was a freaking long-ass walk. or something. Right. No. <laughs> yeah, you know, I imagine that's
1: exactly what he'd be saying.
2: After I mean, that. I can't remember any of, any of those times, anything like that. So I don't, I don't think he ever walked from so, his house there
1: to my house. Okay. So did you guys, during those few months leading up to, I mean, th- th- somehow you got tied in with Damien, this whole thing.
2: I mean, he was my best friend yeah. from high school, you know. So did you guys still spend a lot of time? Oh yeah, with we each was like day? I said, even though I couldn't just walk over to his house anymore, mm-hmm. we still would like um, the skating rink. We, uh-huh. We'd meet at the skating rink. I'd have my mom take me there, and his mom would take me there, or our parents would take us both there. We'd st- he'd stay the night at my house, or I'd mm-hmm. stay the night at his house, you know, and we'd go to right. the skating rink. Um, so you guys were still tight during that time. Yeah, we're still friends. We you know we just I just can't walk over in five See, minutes to every his single house, day, you know? right? Yeah, it's got to you know it's got to be planned for the weekend or whatever you know it's got to be a big thing. But Dominique lived in Lakeshore, and a lot of times Damon would just stay over there to stay the night okay. over there. You know, so like he could come over to my house right. or whatever. Okay, you know.
1: So they, so he was he was around quite a bit then.
2: Yeah, and the just. He was around quite, he was around a bit, but just not like it used, not to, not be like it used to be when he lived sure. down the street, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But even though, even though Dominique lived around the corner from me and he was over there a lot, he still was, he still didn't live there. Right. Right. Sure. So there were still some times where I'd be, you know, like, I'm wondering what Damien, I'm going to go over Damien's. No, I can't do that because Damien doesn't live over there. Right. He does. Way to heck in Broadway, Trailer Park. So mm-hmm. now if I want to go see Damien, I got to call. Hey, dude, what yeah. you got going on? It's actually a different town because you guys actually. It's in are, West Memphis. I live in Marion. Right. Different town.
1: So during the years that you guys were, were close, you, you mentioned the different, because one of the big things that people, you know, Damien's a Satanist and, and all these things. In, in your opinion, was Damien, did Damien worship Satan?
2: No. In my opinion, Damien didn't worship anything, you know, and he definitely didn't worship Satan. He was curious about religion, you know. He was curious about life and curious about everything, you know. He just loved to study about things, you mm-hmm. know. Me personally, I'm a Christian, I raised a Baptist, and I'm an American, and I believe that everybody has a freedom of religion and a right to practice religion, a right to study religion. And as long as your religion isn't hurting me, I'm for it, right, you know. If you are not hurting me, I am for it. If you're not trying to make me do something I don't want to do, I am for it. Mm-hmm. If it frees you, I am for it, right? But a lot of people aren't that away. You know, I mean, I was raised a Baptist, you know, and and as a Baptist, you're, you're taught, you know, if you don't believe in this path, it's the only way to salvation, you're damned to hell. Right. You know? And so a lot of people take that very seriously. And they go about it in a way I wouldn't go about it. Right. I would I would look at people if I was say, if I'm really believing that person's gonna go to hell, I'm gonna try to help them not go to hell, instead of being like, Oh, you're gonna go to hell. Damn you. Right. You yeah. know? Yeah. And just to throw kerosene on the fire, so uh-huh. to speak, right? That doesn't make sense to me. Right. You know? Why do you wanna build a wall in between you and these people that you're supposed to be helping?
1: Exactly. And and Damien seemed to be I mean, Damien obviously had his own belief, still does. Yeah. But I've never heard him say a negative word about anybody else's beliefs.
2: No. And you will not ever hear him say a negative word about anybody else's beliefs. Because he, he believes that you have a right to believe what you need to believe. Right. You
1: know? Did Did he ever strike you as, growing up or anything, as being violent?
2: Mm-mm. Now, uh, we wrestled around in like our earlier years, uh, wrestled around and stuff like that. But it wasn't violent. It was just... Kids goofing around, goofing around, wrestling around. Like, uh, we'd be wrestling each other, throwing each other headlocks. He took kai- taekwondo, uh-huh. so he put me on these weird moves and stuff. And uh, <laughs> I'd try to get loose or whatever. I don't know, it's funny to talk about it now, but then it just seemed natural. Yeah, I mean, me and my little brothers are always wrestled around. I don't know if you had brothers or, oh, whatever, yeah, I got two best friends. So, yeah, I don't done, know what you're there's still holes in the walls at the rough household from,
1: <laughs> <laughs> from three big boys growing up
2: together. I got a, uh, we didn't have a camera when I was a kid, but one day my dad, like my biological father, showed up and uh, he brought a camera and he took pictures of us, me and my brothers. And there's a picture of my little brother, Matt, who's two years younger than me, and he's got me in a headlock. (laughs) (laughs) Did he grow up to be bigger than you? He is bigger than me, but I think I was starved in the county jail during my growth stage. Uh I missed out on some of my growth because like my dad's (laughs) like, he's taller than me. He's like, I always thought you were going to be tall. Yep. I'm like, yeah, they started me in the county jail. How old were you when you were in the county jail? Well, on my 16th birthday, I had it right before I went to the county jail. And I remember I was just reaching the same height with my mom. Because uh-huh. I was like, Mom, I'm almost as tall as you now. Yeah. Right? At 16. Right? And then the visits in the county jail were through glass. Mm-hmm. And so you couldn't really tell how tall you were. Right. And they would always already be there. But later, when I got to prison and I was able to... Hugged my mom for the first time. She walked up, and I was like, "Oh my God, you got so short!" Because she yeah. came to like my chest. Yeah, right. So within a year, I grew that much.
1: I forget. Like when you said, when I was sixteen in the county jail, I, I forget that's when you were arrested for this murder. I keep forgetting that you were such a young kid when this when this happened. Because uh, you had a little bit of run of the law. Was that what we were referring to earlier?
2: The I grew up. I went to Memphis schools until the fifth grade, and then. Came home from school, last day of school for the fifth grade and um, there were U-Haul trucks outside my house. Mm-hmm. And my grandparents were out there. And while my dad was my stepdad was at work, we moved to Arkansas. Uh-huh. Right. And um so my first day of school in the sixth grade is in Marion is when I first met Jesse. Okay. And he was like trying to bully me. He was like uh-huh. the school bully. And um he came and tried to punch me and like I ducked it and yeah. chased me around the playground. And this girl, Donna Spurlock, was like, Hey, Jesse, stop chasing him and got him and like made her, made him promise her to not chase me around the playground Yeah. and beat me up because I was a new kid. Right. But uh, I think I, what was your question again? I'm so sorry. <laughs> When you when you uh went to you got put on probation. Oh yeah, yeah. So I'm eleven years old. We just moved from Memphis, Tennessee to Arkansas and like we get there at the trailer park and it's you know, we're trying to make friends and fit in. Me and my brother Matt. I was eleven, Matthew was nine, little Terry was us, uh, so he's seven years older than me, so he's like four or five then. Mm-hmm. You know? And so we're trying to make friends with everybody. Of course we live on a lake. There's plenty of fishing at it. summertime. There's, um, soybean and cotton fields. So we play hide and go seek out there. And then out in the middle of the soybean field is this old storage shed, right? Made out of tin. And I don't know how long it'd been there. I mean, no mm-hmm. one told me, but everybody was like, this is what we do. We play hide and go seek in here, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know how long it takes a tree to grow, right? Mm-hmm. But the, a tree had started growing. Outside of the building. But at some point, the tree got so big and so tall, as it was growing, that it pushed the wall in Uh and it lifted the roof. Okay. Right? Yeah. That's how long this place is. I mean, it's abandoned. Right. Right? So we climb the tree, go in the roof, and then climb down the tree. Uh Uh-huh. Because the tree is inside now. It, like, pushed the wall open. It grew. Okay. Right. That's how long. I don't know how long this process was, right? Uh-huh. And so, all summer, we made friends that summer with everybody and, and played and swam and just had a blast. And then one day, freaking police show up and they car all of us. So I mean, it was probably every kid in the trailer park. Uh-huh. I mean, some the youngest was like eight or nine. Mm-hmm. The oldest was like maybe 13 and just took every, every kid in the trailer park and gave them. A criminal charge, criminal trespassing, breaking and entering. And then to top it off, they said we destroyed property. If anything in there had been destroyed by anything, it was destroyed by time, neglect, and the elements, not by any kids. Uh-huh. You know, we were just in there having a good time, playing hide and go seek. I, I remember I, I was pretending there was like these car shells, shells of cars. I pretended mm-hmm. mine was like an X-Wing TIE fighter or something. Uh-huh. I mean, we we're just playing, you know? Yeah. And so I remember my public defender, Mr. Montgomery, told me, he says, this is this is nothing. Y'all are just playing hide and go seek. Don't worry about it. And he gave me a New Testament, gave my little brother Matthew a New Testament. And so he assured us that it's gonna be taken care of and it'll be all okay, you know. Uh-huh. And so we go to court, right? And the prosecutor, John Fogelman. You're kidding, same prosecutor? Prosecutor John Fogelman has all these kids, these children, ranges from 9 to 13. I'm 11. My brother Matthew is 9, right? Uh Other kids. And his solution for these kids is to send us all to training school, kids' prison. Mm -hmm. He says, Your Honor, I think two years in the state reform school would do all these kids some good. My Public defender, Mr. Montgomery, stood up, says, Your Honor, I agree. The same guy who had been telling us this is all BS and don't worry about it, uh-huh. says, Your Honor, I agree. Two years in the reform school. My mom jumped up, says, Your Honor, my kids aren't going to prison. And so they all went to the bench. Uh uh-huh. Mr. Montgomery, Mr. Fogelman, and my mom. When they came back, I had five years probation and a $500 fine.
1: On all that for playing hide-and-go-seek? Playing hide-and-go-seek. At 11 years old.
2: My brother Matthew had five years probation and a $500 fine. There were some families that had four kids playing hide-and-go-seek in there. 500 a 1, 1000 1500 2000 I remember our Christmas budget for me, Matthew, Terry, my mom, was $100. Bucks. That wiped out five Christmases right there, mm-hmm. just on mine. My right. and that's 10 Christmases. For a game of hide and seek. Hide and seek. And so that's my criminal history. Of course, I would do something later on that I really knew was wrong. And I got caught and got in trouble for it. And that was shoplifting. Uh-huh. Uh, some uh, M&M's and, and potato <laughs> chips from Walgreens. Yeah. I, I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, Wanted
1: some M&M's and potato chips. Yeah, <laughs> Sounds like what you were thinking.
2: But that's my criminal history. Okay. Damien's criminal history, he's fell in love with a girl and her parents wouldn't allow them to be to them, be together, so they ran away. And so that so that was
1: your guys' past. And that all leads up to, I, I kind of want to walk through chronologically your part in the investigation. So the on May 5th, which was Wednesday night, 1993, is when the three boys go missing. The next day is a Thursday, May 6th. Their bodies are found. When was your first contact with police after that?
2: It would be Friday.
1: The 7th? Yes. Okay.
2: They're at my house.
1: So how did they get to your house the day after the bodies were found? Like, do you know what led them to you? You
2: know, at the time, I didn't even question it because, um, I was thinking they probably got a list of everybody in the entire county that has a criminal record, mm-hmm. right, my name is going to automatically be on this list. Right. It's been on this list since I was 11 years old. Right. Right. I've been dealing with being on lists. hmm Right. So I'm thinking that police are just doing their job. Right. I'm not thinking that they're fixing to try to set me up for something I didn't do, you know. So they just... Because for... Since I was 11 until 16, I've been dealing with Steve Jones, my probation officer, and he's been fair with me, been nice to me, and been Curtis, Curtis, you know, just been real and uh-huh. fair, not anything underhanded that entire time. So I didn't suspect anything underhanded from them, you know. Mm-hmm. So
1: did they just show up at your house on Friday? Exactly. Do
2: you remember, what was it, daytime, evening? Time? Oh, it was a daytime. Um, I'm at the house. It's me. Damien, Dominie, Matthew is there. Terry is there. Uh, because we can't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. We're, we we got to stay at the house until they find who committed the crimes. Cause when the boys' bodies were found Thursday, my mom didn't go to work. She stayed home from work and it's like, Hey, you know, my little brother Terry was nine, same age as the boys, you know, right? Little guy. And, um, so I know my mom, she's probably sitting there seeing him. Like that could happen to him, Mm -hmm. you know, and she's probably thinking it could have happened to me, Matt and Terry, Mm -hmm. you know, and for me, I'm sitting here thinking it it probably could have happened to Terry, you know. And so I understand my mom when she's saying, hey, keep everybody at home. Y'all stay at home until they find who did this, you know, and everything. So that was your mom's
1: rule. That's my mom's rule. Because she was
2: scared. We're not. Whoever did this might do it to one of y'all. So we're not leaving the house, you know, we're staying at home. You know, and so they came to the door and knocked on the door and called us out, and we went out.
1: Who do you remember which officers it was?
2: I remember what they looked like. I can't tell you which ones, but I want to say it was Rich, but I do remember one of them was wearing a black shirt with a uh, Grim Reaper insignia on it. Because I was sitting there thinking, oh, wow, that's pretty interesting shirt. Sure, yeah.
1: yeah, for a cop. I mean, so we're so we're roughly about 24 hours after the boys were found and they're already at your house. And mm-hmm. how did that and, and Damien happened to be at your house? Yeah. And so what happened there? What did they do?
2: Well, they started questioning us, and about that time my mom showed up and
1: mm-hmm. came
2: back, was like, Hey, y'all don't be questioning my kid out here, or whatever it was mm-hmm. she said to him. She was like, flew off at him, like, y'all get out of my yard and mm-hmm. I'm like mom it's all right they're just trying to figure out stuff that happened she's like oh no so what was that what
1: was that questioning like so because I, I know you could see exactly what you just described in the police file no. that that she told them they're done and they were done.
2: I remember in fact now now that I'm recalling this I think it was Ridge solidified because he testified at trial mm-hmm. that Damien gave him information that only the killer would know. But I was standing there when Ridge was asking him questions. It wasn't an open, It wasn't like um, asking Damien for information that Damien knew. He was like, he he would like put the answer in the question. Do you think it was possible that one of them may have been wounded more than the other? And Damien was like, I don't know. And Ridge was like, Do you think it was possible? I'm asking you to just say if it was possible or not. Right. And Damien was like, I guess it's possible. Uh-huh. Right. And a- so when these are the way the questions went uh-huh. for Damien. He's asking him to guess that these things are possible or whatever, right? But when Ridge was reviewing his notes and testimony at the trial, he's saying that Damien said these things matter-of-factly. Like right. Damien offered this information up to him when that wasn't the case.
1: Well, in fact, I don't know. Are you aware of the fact that the questions they were asking were from a 32-question questionnaire they asked everybody the exact same i questions. learned that
2: from listening to your podcast
1: oh so you didn't know that before that no and so when i was going through those questions did those sound familiar to you as far as what they were asking you guys that
2: day oh yes yes but i don't i don't know if they like completed the whole questionnaire before my mom showed up though
1: so on the the actual questionnaire is in the police file Okay. And they have, your and I thought you guys filled them out, but he must have just, he was writing. Yeah. So that's his handwriting. So it's got a column, and I'll have to show it to you, that it, says Damien and Jesse. One, two, three, all the 32. And it's...
2: Damien and Jesse or Damien and Jason?
1: Excuse me, Damien and Jason. Yeah, yeah. But it's it, it says, uh, Damien, no. Jason, no. Damien, I don't know. Jason, I don't know. You know, whatever. So it's back and forth, and you see... It completes the column for Damien, and then it gets about five questions from the end on Jason and stops. And then there's a note in the police file that says, Jason's mom came home and kicked us off her of property, so we didn't get to finish the questionnaire. Go <laughs> <Yo>, mom! <laughs> right. Um, but Um yeah, it's, it's just a bunch of, they don't, you know, I have a copy of the actual questionnaire, but the, that form in the file is just 1 through 32, and then uh, a Damien column. Yeah, because they were column.
2: they were questioning him first. I was standing there, and then they started questioning me. So that's how they got almost done. Yeah, okay. How... I was so wondering... that that explains the answers on his side, and then the beginning of answers on my side.
1: Okay, and yeah, so but so, you were you were so we were out
2: there for a little while. I yeah. mean, I don't know how long precisely. If I would guess thirty minutes, it could have been forty-five. If I'd guessed forty-five, it might have been thirty. I don't know. Right. It was a while, you know. So they. They, they, they come up to you like, do you remember like, how do they present that? Were they like,
1: hey, we think you're suspects in this homicide? No, no, no.
2: They say, hey, we're just, at, we're going around asking people questions. Mm-hmm. I think that's how they put it without having to be on the stand to say this is what they said verbatim. Right. But I mean, I didn't feel threatened or anything like that, you know. The time didn't think anything up. I honestly, I just thought they were just, they had, they just had to go. Mark all their P's and Q's, dot all their mm-hmm. I's and cross all their T's. You know, I just thought maybe they had a list of everybody convicted of a felony. Everybody had a record and had to ask, like somebody gave them the command. You go ask everybody on this list these right. questions, right? So
1: at that time, did they ask you your whereabouts that night?
2: At that time, I, I can't recall if they got to that with me or mm-hmm. not now. Do you know? You might have better recollection reading their notes. I don't. It's
1: not in there. So I'm assuming they didn't. That's why I was wondering if if they had, and they just didn't put in the notes. So they just went through the questionnaire, stopped, and left. Then when was your—because I I know Damien had several times he was talked to by the police.
2: Yeah, they went to his house, and and I can't tell you the order of operations on this of when he went. When they went to his house— and when he they took him to the police station or if he went to the police station, like if they like called him and said, come to the police station or if they like went to his house and brought him to the police station. Because I know he was questioned at the police station, mm-hmm. but I, I, I can't recall how he got to the police station to be questioned. Do you know? No. And I mean, I do, but it's in another, another yeah. file. Yeah. I mean, I just haven't even thought of that really.
1: Did you? So, but in, in the point, I guess I'm going to add so Damien had all this contact with the police between there that they were constantly harassing him. Yeah. Did you have any more
2: contact with police whatsoever? No more. Not until we were arrested at Damien's house on June 3rd, June the 3rd, 1993. My last day of school for 10th grade that night. Okay. And we're just sitting there watching stupid B flicks and. And the police came knocking on the door. Yeah. And, well, they'd been harassing Damien and messing with him and stuff. So Damien's mom and, and dad, Pam and Joe, told us, they're like, hey, if they come to the house knocking on the door, you don't have to answer to them. You don't mm-hmm. have to answer any questions. You don't have to go through that. So just pretend like you're not even here, you know, okay. and enjoy your night. So that was the advice they had given you guys? We're going to go enjoy our night. Uh-huh. You enjoy your night. Right. Jason, it's your last day of school. Uh-huh. Enjoy that. Like they rented movies, like they wanted us to enjoy ourselves. You know, right. they didn't want us to be harassed by the police. Right. You know, so they're like, this is their advice. <laughs> and the, they did
1: show up, but this time they had arrest warrants with them. exactly. You're obviously, and I know you don't know all the details or timeline. It, it doesn't matter. But were you starting to get a read from Damien from his interaction, please, from what he's telling you? during that month that they were starting to really look at you guys for, for this crime?
2: The, what I got from him was more anger than fear. Like, these dudes are just keep harassing me, keep messing with me. And he was laying it at the feet of Jerry Driver. By this time, I kind of got accustomed. I don't want to say I got used to yeah. hearing Damien complain about the police. <laughs> right. But I kind of did. And that doesn't say anything about Damien, really. It says something about the police. Right? Yeah. At the time in my immaturity, I kind of blamed Damien. I'm mm-hmm. like, why is this dude always complaining about these police? I don't want to hear about this. Right. You know? Let's talk about music or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? But now that I've matured and grown up a little bit, I'm like, why the question shouldn't be, why is Damien complaining about the police? The question should be, why is these police always harassing Damien? That right. should be been my question to myself, you know, during those years, at those times when I was less than an ideal friend to Damien, less than patient with him when he's getting things off his chest that he's going through in his life. Right.
1: So it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, but the last thing in your mind was, they're going to arrest us for these murders.
2: It was a complete shock.
1: And also, you knew they were harassing Damien about it. Did you have any indication that you were part of that too, or did you think they were just looking at Damien?
2: I don't think I thought of it like that. Mm-hmm. I don't think I thought that they would ever arrest Damien or me. I thought that they would actually find who committed the crime and arrest them. Did I think that Damien would stop being harassed by the police once they figured out who did this crime? No, because before that crime happened, Damien was being harassed by the police. Constantly. And he was complaining about it to me. Mm-hmm. And I was getting tired of... Him complaining about it as a friend. I just right. got tired of hearing about it. And to be real, it, it got on my nerves. Mm-hmm. Right. But at the same time, it wasn't like I was a, a, a guilty murderer worried about the police finding me out. No, I'm just a kid who's doing my best to get through school and life, who has a best friend who has a lot of issues that gets on my nerves. Right. Right. Yeah.
1: And, and actually, when you put it in that perspective, it makes a lot. More sense as far as where your mind was like, the police are harassing your friend. Do you think they're going to arrest him? You forget about the fact that the police had been harassing Damien for years leading up to that. Right. So it was, I'm sure it was just same old news when Damien's complaining about the police harassing him. Right. So they come knock on Damien's door. June well, 3rd. before
2: they knocked, they came in the driveway and Michelle, uh, Damien's sister, it's mm-hmm. like, oh my God, the police are in the driveway. And so she started turning the lights out, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh crap. Like, I remember what Pam and Joe said. We just pretend like we're not there. Right. So we all run to the back bedroom and turn the TV off and lights off. And they're like, not gonna go away they like, weren't happening <laughs> they were <laughs> having. no it wasn't like we're just gonna knock and ask you some questions and and ruin your evening and go away um, no we're gonna really ruin your evening and all of your evenings right yeah
1: like like walk me through that experience and i'm sure it's a maybe a cliche question that's been asked a million times but like like what were you going through mentally emotionally when they come in it sounds like it's the last thing in the world you were expecting to happen. And they come in and tell you you're under arrest.
2: Well, there's at when you're in it at that moment, there's very little room for thought because um there's a lot happening. There's a mm-hmm. lot of commands being given that you have to obey right then. Mm-hmm. Right? They tell you. They don't ask you, they tell you, You're Jason Baldwin. I don't have time to think. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir, is what I answer. Yeah. Sit right there. I don't have time to think. Do I not sit there? Be- No, I sit right there, Mm -hmm. you know? So a lot of that evening was just that. Like, I don't really, I didn't have an opportunity to really get my feet under me to think. So I'm just like constantly being pushed and pulled. And I'm not in a comfortable situation. I'm not in control of even my own thoughts at this point because I'm having to respond to them. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so I remember I did have. A surge of like emotion at one point for Michelle of like, uh, like, oh, my God, she is so brave because she at one point asked the officer like, uh, I'm going to need your name and badge number, sir. Uh-huh. When he was like ordering us around, uh-huh. like Michelle, she's younger than I am. I am right. And she was like calm enough to ask this and strong enough yeah. to ask this officer to give her his badge number and name. Cause she's going to document this, uh, 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 mistreatment that we're suffering. Right. Right. And so I, that's one of the things I remember from that is like a peak of like, um, pride in, in her. You uh-huh. know? Like, if that makes sense, you know, like, yeah. oh, wow, go Michelle, you know? Right. That's one of the things I thought that I had of my own. Uh huh. In, in, in essence, you know? And, and the rest of it, I'm just reacting uh-huh. to what they're doing to me. Mm-hmm. Right, I'm I'm giving them answers that, to questions that they're asking, so they, they put me in the cop car, of course, and you know, at one point they actually tell me I'm under arrest. They said, "Jason Baldwin, you're under arrest for murder," and at, at Damien's house mm-hmm. in front of Michelle, you know, and, and Dominique and stuff. And I, I can't say that I could feel anything right then. It was like I was in shock. Mm -hmm. Like the words he was saying is kind of like far away, Uh like in a distant hallway, you know, and just echoes of it reaching me. Like I'm kind of in slow motion in essence, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's just like really hard for me to move or anything. I guess I was in shock and overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Right. But I did my best to answer any and every question they gave me. Right. So they arrest me, go in the cop car. And first, they take me to the West Memphis jail, right? And I'm in my own clothes Mm -hmm. at this point. Metallica shirt, right? Um, And stuff. Chicago Bulls hat. Jeans. I'm not wearing my shoes because we're in the house Mm because the yard is muddy. Uh You don't want to track mud in the house, right?
1: Remind me to circle back to the muddy yard.
2: (laughs) All right. (laughs) So everyone leaves their shoes at the door. Uh-huh. You don't want to track mud in the house. So, But they, they take me out and um, take me to the police department. And they take me back and forth between the West Memphis Jail and the Marion Jail a couple of different times over the night. Mm-hmm. So I go to West Memphis Jail. Then I go to the Marion Jail. And it's in the Marion Jail that they take my earring and my necklace. right? Mm-hmm. And then they take me back to the West Memphis Jail. Right. And they put me in this long hallway. Right. It's just a hallway. Mm -hmm. And then there's another hallway on one end and another hallway on this end. But it's got crash gates in the middle. Uh When they get me there, they strip me. They're like, we're going to need that shirt. We're going to need your pants. And they leave me in this hallway completely naked. I mean, underwear and all. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, maybe five minutes went by before on the other ends, people. We're walking back and forth. And when I say people, I mean inmates, like people in the jail. Understand and you're standing there. And they were like, and they were like, that's the one, that's the one right there. That's the one like saying, that's the guy that they arrested for the murders of the kids. And mm-hmm. like, and like, I'm completely naked. I'm a kid myself. Right. You know what I'm saying? And like, they are just saying horrible things of what the person who killed those kids deserve to happen to them. But I didn't do it. But they don't know I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. But they're saying these things need to happen to me. Mm-hmm. All these whatever horrible things they can imagine. You know, the worst things in the world you can imagine. Right? And so I go through that for I don't know how long. And then the police come and they give me.
1: Let me hold you up for just a second because I want to, what you just said. So they put you in the in this open hallway.
2: Open hallway. Naked standing naked. there.
1: And then inmates start. Traveling past and then- Well,
2: there's a, uh, like bars, right. a crash gate, and a crash gate. But uh, like, if you imagine a capital I, uh-huh. I'm in this hallway and people are walking back and forth in this hallway and this hallway, right? But it's not a door in between the hallways, it's bars. So they can't go in there and I can't go out. But they can all see you. Oh, they can look and words have so much power.
1: Were they... I, I guess what I'm getting at, were, were they... Look like in their normal course of business or were they paraded
2: past there? That I don't know. Because the other question I'm blind. Uh huh. Like I can see because I got glasses on. Uh huh. And now you're just a shape. Right. Right. I can tell that you're a male and I can tell that you're white. Mm-hmm. That's all I can tell. And I can tell you have dirt clothing. Right. Mm. And so those guys, I couldn't tell and i didn't know anything about jails or anything then to know if like they were being paraded to see me or if that was their normal operations or what but all i know is they there were a bunch of people walking path on either side so i couldn't like cover up and hide this way or cover up and hide this way so i just had to like kind of go up against the wall and cover myself and they're you know? all
1: yeah and and they're all yelling that you're the one that killed those boys exactly so the
2: I, news is out the word is that, and that out.
1: That's what I'm getting at. They just arrested you. They just took you there. And what I'm wondering is, was this a tactic by the police to put you in a position to? Were they threatening you and what they're going to do to you, or what? Oh they
2: yeah, like they're what people do when they see someone who is a suspect of a horrible crime is they make up the things that that person deserves to happen to them. Mm-hmm. Happens everywhere. People do it all the time. They're sitting in front of the news. Someone gets arrested for being a suspect and something to a child. Oh, they should do the same thing to that person. Mm-hmm. So by then, there'd been a month of rumors, all of this stuff, of whatever right. happened to those boys and stuff. So all of this was unleashed on me mm-hmm. at that point, you know, by all these people. And there I am. I'm butt naked Right. in the most vulnerable Way you could be, you know. It just—it just to me, and so it, it was very emotional, very uh, uh, demoralizing. It, it, it kind of gave a glimpse of uh, a life and a future mm-hmm. that I could uh, look forward to experiencing for a better. Well, that's exactly, terms.
1: and that's exactly what I'm getting at because I could see a, a, a very sharp interrogator setting that situation up and then later getting you into an interrogation room and, and giving you the whole... You know what, what they're going to do to you. What you saw out there is what you can expect, but you work with us and so we can help you with that right? type of thing. Did you did, did they
2: make I, any sta- think
1: like that to you when you were being interviewed?
2: I think had they have not had Jesse's statement, they'd have put more pressure on me than mm-hmm. what they did. But they put a lot of pressure on me, not to say that they didn't. Mm-hmm. But I just kept telling them where I was at, what I was doing. And it was not murdering three kids. Mm -hmm. And they just refused it, refused it, absolutely refused it. And they would just tell me, well, your friend says otherwise. I'm like, who is this friend that you keep referring to? And they were like, oh, you know, you tell us. And I'm not going to play guessing games with them, people. I'm not going to guess. I didn't know. And, And I thought. Honestly, the thought crossed my mind that maybe whoever this person was was completely made up. And they
1: were actually they were referring to Jesse.
2: I, now I know they were but referring to Jesse. That, At the time, but... I didn't know they were referring to Jesse. Mm-hmm. They wanted me to give them a name. Uh huh. I had no names it's to a, give them. And, but then they were like, why don't you guess? Who Who do you think? would? Why would someone lie on you like this? Why would someone say you committed this crime? Who do you think would say... Who do you think would tell us you did this? And I was like, I do not know. Mm -hmm. Come on, there's got to be someone. Give us a name. And that's the way they questioned me. Mm -hmm. You know?
1: With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.
2: Were you questioned for a long time? The time of that night dragged on for so long. Like, I did not sleep mm-hmm. at all that night. And I went back and forth between the West Memphis Jail the Marion Jail and the Crittenden County Memorial Hospital, Mm -hmm. like several different times. So I don't know actually how long they questioned me. Like, was it 45 minutes? Was it an hour? Mm -hmm. I don't know now.
1: In their questioning, they obviously asked you where you were that night. Right. Did you have a pretty good recollection of where you were on the night of May 5th?
2: Yes. And when I tried to tell them, they were like, no, your friend has told us different. So, what do you, do you remember now what your, your alibi was? Oh, yeah. When I got home from school, like, I went to school that day. Uh-huh. Like, you know, I went to school. I, I believe in education. Education is important to me. So, I went to school. When I got home from school, when I got off the bus, Damien and Domini were already at my house, sitting on, like, in front of my house, I have a Yugo, <laughs> uh-huh. which is this terrible little car that's, this car in particular, this specific car, is wrecked. Like, uh-huh. my mom wrecked it. And she was like, she wrecked it before I turned 16. And then she was like, when you turn 16, you can get this car. I'm like, that car is wrecked. wrecked I don't car. want that car. <laughs> and so when I did turn 16, like the car was technically mine, even though uh-huh. it could not and would not. It was not a go; It was a can't go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, um, but anyway, sorry, uh, Damon and Dominique were sitting on the Ugo uh-huh. when I got home from school waiting on me and stuff. And so we went in the, in the house and, um played Super Nintendo for a little while. Um, my friend Ken came over, who lived on the next street over, the street that Damien used to live over, uh-huh. the next street over. And so we sat in there for a little while. And um, Is that Ken Watkins? Ken Watkins, okay. yes. And uh, at this time, my stepfather was kicked out, and my mom had a boyfriend living with us, Dink. Mm-hmm. And he knocked on the door, the bedroom door, and was like, hey, got a phone call. I went Took the phone call, and it was my Uncle Hubert. Mm-hmm. And I say my Uncle Hubert is really my great-grand Uncle Hubert. Uh-huh. Like, my mom's uncle. You okay. know what I'm saying? Yeah. he's Even more uncles further than that. He right, like, yeah. Uncle Hubert's ancient. Right. <laughs> he, he, he's awesome. I love Uncle Hubert. Um, and so he's wanting me to cut his grass. He's like, uh, you going to come over and cut my grass? And I'm like, yeah, I'll be over in a minute, you know, however long it takes me and stuff. So I, I go back to my room and tell... Damien, Dominique, and Ken, like, I'm like, hey, I got to go cut my uncle's yard. Y'all can come with me. You can stay here. You can go wherever. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to cut my uncle's yard. Right. That's what I'm going to go do. And so they're like, oh, yeah, we'll go with you. Blah, blah, blah. blah." I'm like, stop making out. Let's go. (laughs) Damien and Dominique, they're just, like, Mm -hmm. making out in Mm -hmm. the room while me and Ken played Nintendo or whatever. And so... We we walk to my uncle's house, which my uncle lives in West Memphis. Mm -hmm. I have to walk to West Memphis from Lakeshore, but it's pretty much a straight shot Mm -hmm. from my house there, and it only takes like 20 minutes, maybe, to get there. Maybe 30, Uh depending on how slow Damien and Domini walk. (laughs) (laughs) Stop to make out. Right, right. And so we get there and everything, and they stay outside, and I go in and talk to my uncle, and then me and my uncle go out the back door. and. Where was, where was
1: where your Uncle Hubert's house located?
2: Yeah, I could not tell you the address or the name of the street, but I could take you to the house. Was it, I mean, it landmarks? It, it's right by the Boys Club and the Water Tower. The Boys Club. Where's that
1: in relation to the Walmart? I know where Walmart it's, is.
2: It's straight. It's straight. Straight. So near? Like so from Lakeshore if you walk like, out, If you walk from, from Lakeshore to Walmart, my uncle is just that way, <laughs> like here's the the water tower uh-huh. and the boys' club. Here's Walmart. Here's my uncle's house. Okay, so but here's th- a big street, right? The main street right here. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it's called. Missouri, probably. I think you're right. Uh huh. He doesn't live on it, but like there's a street that goes this way, and then bam, that's his his house right there. Like okay. I could see that street, Missouri, from mm-hmm. his backyard. So it like, would be West like, of Missouri. Like, there's his backyard. And then there's like businesses, mm-hmm. and then that's okay, so, know, yeah. so you'd be
1: west of Missouri, which is a couple of mile or so west of the crime scene, right, which was over uh there's Missouri, then seventh, and then it was east of east of there. so you're over by the Walmart side, yeah, um so yeah, Walmart
2: so, Belvedere apartments, because Dominique used to live in Belvedere apartments, okay, so we'd go over there and see her, and then she her mom moved to lakeshore, okay,
1: so that was twenty, maybe thirty minute walk. Down there, you get to your uncle's house. You said you go in and Domin- uh, Dominie and Damien stay outside? Correct.
2: Okay. They stay outside. I go mow the backyard. Mm-hmm. And then I go to mow the front. I notice Damien and Dominique are gone, but mm-hmm. Ken is still there. I'm like, dude, where'd Damien and Dominique go? Oh, they had to go let Damien's mom know that he's not at your house to come here to get them. A little payphone or something? I guess. I mean, I. I didn't even care at the time. I didn't even right. question. I didn't miss a beat. I, I, was like, all right, cool, and I just kept mowing the yard. You know, mm-hmm. I just went and mowed the front yard, finished it, and um, once I was done with the yard, my uncle Hubert gave pay me ten bucks, and um, we left and stopped at Walmart on our way to my house or back to the Lakeshore Trailer this Park. This is and you I'm, and Ken now. Me and Ken, mm-hmm. and uh, had ten bucks, and so. Got changed for one, it was two fives got changed for one of the fives and one of them a dollar, like all the way changed into quarters, Uh right? So we could like get a couple of sodas and play a couple of the video games Mm because at the time you could go to uh, those Sam's Choice sodas or like a nickel Mm -hmm. each. So you can like for a buck, you can play a couple of video games and get a couple of sodas, right? You know, for a buck, Right. right? And so we played video games, you know. And I remember this Asian kid just walked right up and, you know, at your elbow, at my elbow, just watching us play mm-hmm. until we got through waiting on his turn to play. Uh-huh. We didn't, I don't even think we even said a word to one another. Uh-huh. You know, I just remember him because the last Asian kid I saw was when I went to school in Memphis uh-huh. and he was my best friend that lived right down the street for me, this kid named Vincent. And, um. His dad was in the Navy and his mom was uh, Vietnamese uh-huh. and his mom didn't speak any English. Right. So, but anyway, that was the last Asian kid I'd seen. I had not seen any Asian kid in Arkansas until this kid is right here next to me. I'm playing Street Fighter. So I mm. I, I remembered him. Right. right. I'm like, oh, it was kind of like Vincent. Right. Not to be weird or anything. Right. <laughs> I miss Vincent, you know, yeah. my kid, my buddy, you know. And so we get through playing and, and, Finish walking to the trailer park, you know, and, um, we come to Ken's house before mine. And so, so he just goes home, mm-hmm. you know, and I keep going to my place, right, you know, and I get there and I, I'm hanging out at my place for a little while. And, um, Matt and Terry are in and out of the house. Like they don't, other kids are in and out of the house, like Sammy, Chris, you know, they're like in and out, Mike, mm-hmm. you know, Terry's friends and stuff, in and out, running in and out of the house and stuff. And so after a little while, I go to Adam's house, which he lives all the way on the other side of the trailer park, but still in Lakeshore Trailer Park, because he's got an Iron Maiden tape I want. Mm. Pyre slave, you know, and <laughs> I've got nine bucks left from mowing my uncle's lawn. I just spent uh-huh. a dollar, and I need to save five of it for the skating rink, you know, because okay. it costs like 4 50 just to get in, uh-huh. you know, just to get in. So it's five bucks, you know. Right. But he's wanting to sell me the tape for five, uh uh-huh. Right. Five, i I've only got nine. I need five. I can give him four. So anyway, I get to his <laughs> house, and um, his mom is there. His dad is there. His sister is there, which I kind of had a crush on. She's an older girl, which I had a crush on for ever since I've known him. I uh-huh. can't even remember her name now, which is sad. And her boyfriend is there and everything. And I get kind of tongue-tied in front of her. So we end up going back to Adam's room where I could talk, uh-huh, <laughs> you know, right. and communicate and everything. And um, I talk him in to sell me the tape for $4 instead of 5 so I can keep the 5 for skating rink that weekend. Mm-hmm. And I buy the tape, and I go home. And I get home, and there's tuna casserole for dinner. I eat that. I watch, um, what is that show? Uh, Wonder Years is what I watch every night. Um, Wonder Years, I'm watching it, and I'm talking to Heather on the phone. I'm talking to... uh. And at the time, I have these other friends, uh, well, Damon, we, we, uh, he's friends with them too, but we met these girls at the skating rink, this girl named Holly, uh-huh. this girl named Jennifer, you know, and I kind of got a crush on Holly, which is not my wife Holly now. Right. But different a different Holly. Holly. Yeah. But I'm going out with Heather and stuff and everything, but we're all talking on the phone and stuff like, Back and forth and whatever. And then mm-hmm. but I go to bed when Wonder Years is over. Uh-huh. You know, I go to bed pretty early and um put my Iron Maiden on and some Metallica or something. I, I don't even remember now what I had in the second tape deck, but I'm thinking it was Metallica. But it might not have been. Uh-huh. It might have been something else. But what I do know is every night I'd put a tape on. I had a dual cassette stereo. And I'd put a cassette on one side, push play. And then on the other side, I'd push pause and play. Mm-hmm. That way, when this cassette ended, the other one would start automatically. Mm-hmm. You know, just so I can have something to jam when I go to sleep. Right. But invariably, I always fall asleep before it's over with, uh-huh. you know. But my mom gets home from work sometime after I go to bed, 11 something or mm-hmm. whenever. You know, it's 11 something. And so she'll come in and check on us. And so, what she'll do is she'll go turn my stereo off. Uh Like, she won't hit stop. She'll just hit the power button. So, when I get up in the morning, I can pretty much tell when mom got home. How far it was through the tape. Right. Uh I got halfway through the second tape, you know, or whatever, you know, before mom got home. You know, so.
1: So, you had a pretty vivid memory of that night. And, And you kept trying to tell the police that's what was happening that night. and They just weren't having it.
2: Correct. They, they absolutely
1: refused the truth. Right. Because they already had their
2: truth right. Exactly. Bro. They had a believable story. Mm-hmm. And, and that's their quote.
1: Make sure you tune in to the second half of my interview with Jason Baldwin next week on Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is attributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing and sound engineering by Shane Yoder. All music for the show was created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. Our Season 7 logo was created by me, with assistance from Zach Weaver and Shane Yoder. All of our fawn across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. I'd like to thank Katie Ross of CreatedIntandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yomnik, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, and Jen Reese Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month. and We also have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email, theories, at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. I personally can be found on social media at BobRuffTruth, and Mike can be found at MurbGaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice.
0: You've seen the film. You know the game. Now, Jumanji just got real. Only at Chessington World of Adventures. Featuring Daredevil Dad, Mom on a mission, and the kids who can't wait to ride the world's first Jumanji roller coaster. An epic adventure awaits. World of Jumanji. Only at Chessington World of Adventures. Book this summer's must-do day out at Chessington.com.